0: This is Self-Evident. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. And today, I'm passing the mic to Rosalind Tordeselius for a story that we're presenting with Feet in Two Worlds, a project that brings the work of immigrant journalists to digital news and public radio. I think what you're about to hear is an important story, and it's really moving. But it also includes some graphic descriptions of domestic abuse, including physical violence. So if that's not something you can listen to, you may want to sit this one out. Or when the story gets close to the 10-minute mark, you might want to jump ahead to around 17 and a half minutes and keep going from there. Thanks for listening.
1: I don't know how they, she got my, my phone.
2: Kim Nguyen is an advocate working with survivors at the Asian Task Force Against Domestic Violence, or ATASC. They're in Boston. Last
1: month, I got a call from Kansas City in the middle of the night. So there is the survivor that called the police on that night.
2: It was the early days of the COVID-19 shutdowns in the U.S. A Vietnamese-speaking woman was trying to leave her abuser, but couldn't get help from the cops. And she was in danger
1: on that night. And then the police said that because of the pandemic, they cannot keep her at the station. They told me like, oh no, the hospital is locked out. They don't allow anybody to come into the shelter. Now we don't have anywhere to go. So right at that moment, I heard the, the client just cry through the phone and screaming like, oh, they pushed me back in the house. They pushed me back in the house. I wonder If that is the white person, or if that is someone who can speak um, English well, maybe they will try their way, even though they hand it tight, they will try their way to get help.
2: With the coronavirus pandemic came reports of a rise in domestic violence. Here's United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres last April. Local support groups are paralyzed or short of funds. Some domestic violence shelters are closed, others are full. I urge all governments to make the prevention and redress of violence against women a key part of their national response plans for COVID-19. But in the U.S., some people were isolated even before the pandemic. Immigrant women have an especially hard time getting help because of immigration, language, and cultural issues. Rukmini Karki, another A-Task advocate, has seen this play out with her Asian immigrant clients.
0: This is more danger than the COVID-19 in their life. We are social distancing, but this client has been social distancing their life even before the pandemic.
2: Long before this coronavirus, a decade actually, a woman came from China to the States to marry her fiancé. We'll call her Joy. Joy. After I came to the United
3: States, besides having a normal family, I'll be able to go to school and learn English and be able to support my family.
2: That's what I thought. But two years later, she fled with her daughter to escape the abuse of her husband, Jim. That's not his real name either. We're using pseudonyms in this story to protect the privacy of Joy and her family. After Joy left Jim, she spent years rebuilding her life with her daughter. Now she wants people to hear her story. Joy calls her birthplace, Zhongshan, a small city. It doesn't even crack China's top 20 in population. But by that measure, it's still bigger than Chicago. She's talking me through a video we found online showing the sights of Zhangshan. It's actually the most famous street in the old center of Shiqi, And my mom
3: used to work on that street as well. And our um,
2: uh, uh, assigned apartment is a couple blocks away from this street. So this shopping area, was that there already when you lived there? Yes. It is see. (laughs) (laughs) But is this where you used to shop all the time? Mm,
3: We don't usually shop, at that time we are poor, it's just that my mom work on that street. So between lunchtime or after school, I would walk to my mom's workplace to go home together or something to look for my mom.
2: And the elementary school is very close to that street. Joy's mom raised her and her sister on her own. Their dad wasn't around. He worked at a hotel and preferred to live there. He did not work
3: hard for us. He paid uh, more attention to his own uh, happiness instead of
2: our family's happiness. Joy's parents divorced when Joy was a teenager though her dad had pretty much abandoned them years before that. My
3: mom always wanted to give my father a second chance and she said she didn't want other people to look me down because we are a divorced family. So I feel like my father loved me but
2: it just didn't, didn't do the right thing. She didn't let her parents split, saw her on marriage. If anything, it made her even more determined to settle down with the right man. I'm the type of person should ch- follow tradition, follow the rule. And it's
3: like in China, we should have a family. So I never thought of,
2: I won't get married or I will marry someone wrong. No, I didn't think of that. <laughs> Without her dad's support, Joy's mother worked hard to build a wholesale clothing business from nothing and eventually earned a comfortable enough living that she could send her daughters to college. Joy's shame over her broken family pushed her to prove her worth in school. She had her life planned out in Zhangshan. I felt like our path is to um, graduate from college, find a job, and get married. She had no thoughts of leaving the country. Then, in her final year of college, she met Jim. He was born in Zhongshan, too, but his family moved to the U.S. when he was a child. Jim met Joy through his uncle, who was a good friend of Joy's former neighbor. Jim worked in IT, was quiet, and focused on career and family. Everything Joy's father was not. Because my
3: father was a very bad example. Having a normal life and having a normal job can provide to their family. It's all I wanted. (laughs) And loyal, especially loyal to the family. And Jane was my dad.
2: She thought he'd provide a stable home for her. And he seemed so committed to her. Jim came over yearly and spent a month there each time. They took trips around China together and ate out a lot. And when they were apart, he faithfully kept in touch. I thought it was
3: love because we were video check two hours every day. It's like for four years. It's less than 10 days that we don't video chat with each other. So I thought that the reason that she he spent so much time with me because he loved me.
2: But they didn't really talk much during those video chats. They'd stay online together while he worked and she went about her day.
3: He always in front of computer and my screen was just one of her com- his computers that
2: I was in. So a lot of time it was silence. Some of her friends had doubts, but Joy was so invested in the relationship that she was ready to go wherever it took her. My
3: best friend told me he wasn't the man for me. I couldn't listen because I was so used to be with him every single day. And because I was so used to uh, having him in my life for that four years, I've thought that I love him very much, too.
2: Joy's mom knew her daughter would have to leave China to be with Jim. She hoped for the best. She did worry but because she thinks that we both
3: love each other. She told him that it's not easy to raise her daughter up. I'm, I'm giving my daughter to
2: you completely. After dating Jim for four years, Joy moved to the States. A few days after she arrived, they were married. She settled into the home they shared with his parents and got pregnant right away. She said the family treated her well throughout her pregnancy. But after she gave birth, things started to change. Feeding a newborn is already demanding on new parents. When Joy's baby, Leah, was underweight after one month, the doctor suggested supplementing her breast milk with formula. But Jim went overboard. So breastfeeding and then pumped breast milk Mm -hmm. and then formula?
3: No. Pump breast milk first and then breastfeed the rest of my breast milk and then feed that pumped bottled breast milk and then gave f- formula. <laughs>
2: okay. So did the doctor know that, th- that this was no. what you were no, doing? No, the
3: doctor just, like, according to their recommendation, the newborn should be fed every two or three hours.
2: Just him. He set up all these steps. Joy can laugh now at how ridiculous it was. For a new mother, keeping up with nursing or bottle feeding is tough enough. Having to do both is extra stressful. But pumping on top of that? Pumping is usually only needed if the mom has to store breast milk for when she can't nurse. Not only did Joy have to pump, she also had to clean all the bottles and pumping equipment. And Jim insisted on those four steps at each feeding She'd have maybe an hour before she had to start the whole routine again. Soon, the whole family had her pinned down. They allowed her out only for brief errands, like walking the dog. They filled her days with chores, as if she were their servant. At
3: the beginning, when I first came to the United States, they were trying to teach me how to live in the United States. So I followed them, I trusted them, and they told me that I have to comply. I had to listen to them, I have to follow their direction. I had to listen to them 100% or 120%, completely listen to them and ask them for everything.
2: They had strict demands and expected her to follow them to a T, like the laundry that had to be hung outside, then taken down right at sunset not a minute early or late. Sometimes if I miss that time,
3: my, my heart raced uncontrollably. I was so afraid, I was shivering. My heart pounding, pounding for very small things, like I wasn't able to pick up those hanging clothes. I was so afraid I would die because I now I cannot even control my body.
2: Joy's fears also came from direct physical abuse. He would
3: tear my chin up and slap me very hard. And some, sometimes, if he slapped too hard, my head spin. he would say, Oh, I slapped you too hard. Let me try it again. I saw how he did the same thing to the dog, always tear the chin up to almost to the back and slap. So I thought, it's like looking at the dog is the same as looking at myself. We are experiencing the same life. That's how he
2: changed me. These feelings would haunt Joy long after the family dog passed away. The day that the
3: dog was dying, I told the dog, It's not a bad thing to die now because you are living in this family and you are just dying early. I may be the next one to follow you. I saw my own future while I'm looking at the dog.
2: Jim allowed Joy one regular contact outside the family. She could go to their elderly neighbor's house to practice her English. Other than that, she was isolated. Jim even watched what she did online. He was able to look through whatever
3: I I went on, and even my own email. I think he probably had my password. Mm. At that time, I didn't dare to do anything that raised suspicions or Google, anything that, like would make them
2: suspect me. She had phone calls with her mom, but she was worried the family could listen in. Sometimes, she thought she heard someone pick up the phone extension in another room.
3: So I wasn't able to talk to my mom freely of the situation that I was in. My mom didn't know at all.
2: Looking back, Joy now sees her abusers played on her desire for a stable family. I feel like that's my
3: family. And if if I successfully master all the things that they teach me, then I am okay. I'm all set. It's just that I never get to master all what they told me. And before I could master all this...
2: I already lost myself. To keep her compliant, Jim often threatened divorce. A divorce it's a huge thing. My mom, my family, would
3: definitely disagree with a divorce because I already from a divorce family, if I divorce as well, my family will be so shameful. All my relatives in China, they will laugh at my family that your mom divorced, your divorce. Our family will be a bad family. I will never do that to my family. And I already lost my own confidence. And just like they told me many times, I was so stupid. I was so brainless. So I believe even if we got divorced, I will not be able to survive in America, so I can only go back to China. But that means I won't be able to see Liye forever, the rest of my life. That scared me a lot because that's my child. How can a mom not be able to see her the rest of her life?
2: As I got to know Joy, I understood more about what she was up against. What keeps Asian immigrant women from escaping situations like hers? I spoke last May with Simone Bui, who manages the Legal Advocacy and Representation Program at ATASC.
4: I always hesitate to generalize across Asian cultures, but there are absolutely certain things that we do share in common. You know, different Asian cultures, as distinct as they are. Um, There is this sort of overarching uh, belief and principle. The family comes first over the individual. The shame that uh, any victim would feel coming forward is compounded by just generational and community and familial pressure to stay silent at all costs.
2: And many share Joy's fears that they can't survive in America.
4: They just don't feel that that safety net is for them. Based on their immigration status, they don't believe that they will be as protected.
2: So immigration status is a weapon abusers use to convince survivors they have no rights. When an abuser says, I will deport you, that's a really effective threat. A husband can't technically deport his wife, but her presence in the United States is tied legally to him. Joy came to the States on a fiancé visa. Jim sponsored her green card, which at first was temporary. You have
4: to be married to your abuser for two years before you can get the permanent green card. That's two years of, you know, daily, weekly, or monthly sexual or verbal or physical abuse.
2: If Jim decided not to apply with Joy for her permanent green card, the clock would be ticking for Joy to find her own path to citizenship. Under the Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA, a survivor like Joy could apply for the green card herself, but she'd have to make her case to the U.S. Immigration Service, and that case could be denied. Fears of becoming undocumented or being forced to leave the country, especially if they have children, that's a big reason many immigrant women don't leave abusive relationships. So you were saying that if they're scared of risking um, getting their petition denied, they might just opt to just put up with abuse. Yes,
4: absolutely. It's too, too many unknowns. Not only that, Bowie told me that in
2: previous administrations, if a survivor's VAWA application wasn't strong enough, the government would give her chances to fix it. But the Trump administration made it a policy goal to remove immigrants from the country. So, an application that's denied for whatever reason
4: could put a survivor in line to be deported. Even in the past, we've never been able to promise an outcome, a positive outcome. But we also didn't have to warn them that if they were denied, they, would, they might be placed in deportation. That's huge. So that's definitely had a chilling effect on our clients.
2: So before, um, without this threat, if, uh, if somebody's petition got denied, what would happen?
4: Um, if they got denied, nothing, <laughs> nothing would happen. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> they leave when they know that there's an immigration option out there. They stay and don't leave if that immigration option actually looks worse in comparison to being, you know, physically or you know or sexually assaulted. And that I can't even imagine being in a situation where. You feel, you know what, um, exposing myself to continued physical or sexual assault is actually safer for me in the long run than leaving because the immigration options are just too risky. I, I, I try to put myself in the client's shoes to think about that. And I do, I get close, you know, it's still really difficult for me to imagine, you know, being really up against a wall like that.
2: It took a while for Joy to see herself as up against that wall. By the second year of their marriage, she'd gotten numb to the abuse. But then, one day, Jim was giving her a driving lesson. After he exploded at her for what he thought was a mistake, she couldn't contain herself and broke down to their neighbor. That neighbor eventually connected her with a task. She became a lifeline, helping Joy to sneak in calls to the organization during their visits. The advocates guided her through all her options. They helped her enroll in English classes and know her rights. Still, it took months for Joy to even consider leaving. At first, all she wanted from ATASC was help to improve her home life. She would not consider divorce. When Joy finally had a chance to open up to her mom, she also counseled Joy to try to stay married. She didn't want me to divorce her. Even in the last phone call, she kept
3: telling me no until I told her, I will lose my life, I won't be able to live. And then she got scared. She didn't continue to trying to persuade me anymore.
2: Finally, Joy accepted the truth. Does he love me? If there's love, it's worth me staying no matter
3: what. I tell myself, if he loved me, how would he treat me like that? If he loved me, how would he allow his parents treat me like that? I've, literally, I feel like, no, there's no love there.
2: But what pushed her to take action at last? She was convinced Jim was going ahead with a divorce. And they would take Leah away from her.
3: They wanted to isolate
2: me. They are waiting for a chance for me to make mistakes. Like one time, when, despite Joy's constant cleaning, her mother-in-law found a stray piece of food on the floor. And the grandmother
3: picked up that chicken, accused me, you want to choke her? She said, I want to choke my baby. They wanted to make up all the case that can prove when we divorce that I'm a bad mom. I felt that I was in danger. The more time I stay there, the more evidence they can make up. So there's no other way out. They decided to divorce me. They will f- for sure take Leo, and he didn't love me. It's time for me to give up.
2: Joy was ready. Atask assured her she could legally stay in the US and keep Leah if she left gym. She worked with Atask, her neighbor, and friends from her English class over several weeks to plan her escape. She put her essential documents in her neighbor's trash can for her to pick up. She sneaked changes of clothes for herself and Leah to her classmates. She managed to get the money her in-laws had given Leah from the birthday and holiday red envelopes stored in the attic. She had to cancel her first attempt because Leah had a fever. It took two weeks before they tried again. told me uh, there will be
3: a cab in front of my house so the day I left I just took Lear and took the lucky money from the red envelope and took all the big bills like $20 $50 $100 bill from the red envelope from Lear and Mike own red envelope and took Leah's um, theramata and then quickly put on my shoes and Leah's only had one shoe which is four sizes bigger than what she's supposed to wear but that was her only shoe opened the door and ran to the cab and my social worker was there. And then we drove to the court, applied for a restraining order. So my neighbor, we met in South Station and my neighbor gave me my diplomas and certificates.
2: After two years in that house, she was out. But that was just the start of a long road to putting herself back together. She couldn't even begin to understand what had become of her life. My mind is completely blank.
3: I don't know what's going on with the world. I wasn't able to summarize or think back what was happening. And also domestic violence, it's a new word to me. Myself, have difficult time accepting I am a victim of domestic violence
2: because I didn't know the definition. The divorce was long and drawn out. Jim was aggressive in fighting her for full custody. Joy says she couldn't help her own case because she was too fragile and full of self-doubt. I didn't know what's going on.
3: And what I'm saying is right or wrong. Or, oh, can I say this? Can I say that? Should I say this? Should I say that? I didn't know what to tell completely. has no idea how to tell myself,
2: how to tell my story, how to tell what happened in that house. This made it tough for Joy to fight for Leah in court. Jam showed a piece of paper to the judge
3: that... was trying to show how good a father he is to document Leah's temperature every hour when she had fever and after that I told my lawyer that actually it was Jim had me document Leah's temperature every hour when she had fever and the lawyer would say why didn't you tell me I didn't know if this is significant, if that is important. I always didn't dare to tell because I didn't have confidence that what I'm telling is important, what I'm telling is significant, so I couldn't
2: tell anything. Her lawyer had to work with her closely to prop her up against Jim's attacks. She devised a system of reinforcement, like you'd use for a preschooler. And even my lawyer tried very hard to tell me, to give me stickers, to tell me that I am a good
3: mom. A plus, 100%. A plus, I'm a good mom.
2: It took three and a half years to finalize their divorce. She thinks she went to court over 20 times. In the end, she had to settle for less than ideal shared custody of Leah. She leaned heavily on her lawyer and her A task advocate. I need that to
3: feel someone is by my side, someone is with me.
2: She also needed a lot of support to come back to herself. I was like a machine, has no emotion, not have no feeling. Her most pressing concern, though, was that Leah was showing developmental delays. Joy believes her own mental state at the time affected her daughter too. Leah didn't move much, play with toys, make much sound, or show emotion. So Joy felt Leah needed to be in a professional childcare setting. This energized Joy out of her own brokenness. Joy had to be working 30 hours a week or in school for 12 credits a semester to qualify for subsidized childcare. Focusing on that kept her from falling apart. With help from social workers, she got into a health sciences program at community college to fulfill that requirement. She also needed help getting scholarships. Over the four years that Leah needed preschool, Joy studied. In that time, they were technically homeless, moving from shelter to shelter. She had the close support of many advocates and social workers who guided her through the system. Studying to keep Leah in school gave her a goal, but it also built her confidence. After Jim's family had trained her to believe she was brainless and useless, she proved to herself that they were wrong. I got the grade that A...
3: Every semester, I saw the grade, I felt like, no,
2: I was capable of doing something. As Joy will attest, getting out the door is just the first step that many won't even risk. But without viable means of independence, many won't leave or could end up in a worse place. COVID complicates every step of this long and fragile path. Here's Simone Bui from A-Task. So how is the lockdown and social distancing affecting your work? Oh
4: my gosh. Where do I begin? You know, with the COVID-19. I think, I think we are seeing things that we would have expected to see. Now, those victims, honestly, are effectively prisoners. We can't. I mean, some of them, we don't know how to access them and we can't. The COVID-19... Pandemic has really highlighted just how the, these barriers that, that we've been discussing, just how entrenched they are. And then you take away one thing, just one sort of element in this sort of safety net, and that's it. The door is closed. If I were in the pandemic, I could
3: not even go, get across the street to talk to my neighbor. I wouldn't get the chance of getting out at all.
2: And under lockdown, Joy might not have gotten the personal attention and handholding she needed throughout her recovery. In the early days of the pandemic, advocates couldn't help clients get services in person. Few things were available in anything other than English. Many services relied on technology that's not accessible to low-income or non-savvy survivors.
4: Technology is really hard across the board for all victims. Uh, oftentimes perpetrators control the technology. You never had access. You know, you never had knowledge of knowing how to use your email. Um, it's, it's very, very limited. So, you know, even if you want even if you had some, you know, a, a window here or there to be able to figure out how do I um, do a Zoom call, that's, that's just not going to happen. How do I take a picture and upload this document that I got from court or from USCIS or from immigration court? It's becomes, in some instances, just an insurmountable barrier.
2: And COVID-related racism takes an added toll on domestic violence survivors.
4: We have had around the ATAS office incidents where, um, you know, Asian folks are being attacked as a source of coronavirus. So that increase in the xenophobia and the attacks, they absolutely feel it. For Asian immigrant survivors, all of this has reinforced their fears that help is not available. For the first time, I'm really seeing just how desperate we all are to be seen and to be heard. Because now it really, for all of us, really does feel like this critical, imminent um, life or death situation.
3: Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday
2: That's Leah singing to her grandma, Joy's mother, in 2017. Grandma's clapping along. The two met each other for the first time when Grandma finally got to visit, three years after Joy and Leah escaped. When I saw my mom, I ran
3: over to my mom, leaving Leah behind a couple steps behind me. I ran over and hugged her and cried. And I was... um, very happy to see, be able to see my mom for the first time, after all these years, and after all these things happened, yeah, okay, good, good, month. good. she was very happy to see me, because I... It
2: survived. I still
3: leave.
2: Initially, Joy's mom didn't want to participate in this story, but Joy insisted.
3: My mom didn't want to look back at those sad moments. I said, you got your daughter back from all these organizations who helped me. The reason that you have to do this is because... They saves me otherwise you lose your daughter you don't have me anymore she wants to appreciate she want, she want to appreciate those organizations that help me I worked so hard on my own too but without those help at the right time I won't be able to make it I'm very lucky I got help at the right moment
2: Joy's now a healthcare worker, dividing her time among three hospitals. She has a permanent home. She's now a US citizen. She even sponsored her mom's green card. Now, Grandma helps care for Leah, but she has an active social life as well. She has a regular group that gets together for Chinese square dancing.
3: And she want to drive to square dance to carry those big speakers over there so that everybody else can dance.
2: She never drove in China, but she drives herself and Leah around, having learned at the age of 62. How was it for her learning, learning how to drive?
3: how to drive? Oh, She was so afraid at the beginning, but I
2: was very patient, taught her how to drive. Leah just turned 10. Joy still worries that she's slow to open up to new people, but at home with her family, she's playful and affectionate. Joy says her mom helped bring Leah out of her shell.
3: I'm going to pop one!
2: You can hear Joy and Leah here goofing off recently with some bubble wrap.
0: You're the best model picture. <laughs> oh
3: my God.
2: Ten years ago, Joy said goodbye to her mom as she set off to start a new family. One she thought would be different from the broken home she was so ashamed of growing up. Her family now might not be what she imagined, but their whole. They're looking forward to spending a very laid-back holiday season together. And especially my mom,
3: her personality is okay to not celebrate. She doesn't have a religion or something, so sometimes we don't celebrate much at all.
2: (laughs) So no no big traditions, you mean?
3: No big traditions. Okay. (laughs)
0: This episode was produced by Rosalind Tordesilius in partnership with Feet in Two Worlds. We were edited by James Boo and Mia Warren. Sound mixed by Timothy Lulee.
2: Thanks to Joy and her mom for sharing their story. And thanks to Christina Ayala and the staff of ATASC for participating and continuing to support their community. If you're experiencing abuse or want to help someone who is, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's
0: 1-800-799-S-A-F-E. Self Evident is a Studio to Be production made with support from our listeners. I'm Kathy Urway. I hope you and your family are safe this holiday season.